Good morning. So if you take my first year course, and some of you have, um, there is only one time that I give a pop quiz. The quiz category is famous mentors. I show a picture of a famous hero, and I see if students can name the teacher. So it goes like this, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan, or Master Yoda, Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, thank you, Jeremy Perigo, King Arthur, Merlin, the Lion King, Mufasa, Rafiki, Harry Potter has lots of people who die, spoiler alert. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have the rat. Master Splinter is his name. And this theme goes all the way back to the Odyssey when Odysseus leaves for the Trojan War and he entrusts his son Telemachus to a wise counselor. And I've only ever had one student who's ever got this question right. The name of the person that Odysseus entrusts Telemachus to is named Mentor. The man from whom all the mentor stories draw their name. And in these mentor stories, the mentor has something that cannot be learned from books. So a wisdom to pass on. And if the hero wants to succeed, they must actually learn to resist their own intuitions, which might tell them to give up or to give in. And listen to the voice of one who knows what they do not yet know and can see what they cannot yet see. And the idea here, the ancient idea behind education, is that you can never find wisdom on your own. You can't find it from looking deep within yourself. Think of Socrates, who is the wisest man in Athens, because he is the only one who knows that he does not know. We become wise, not by listening to ourselves, but by learning from mentors. Others, asking questions, being questioned ourselves. We need the insight that comes from the outside, from voices who have been further on the path than us. But here's the problem. There are a lot of voices to listen to. And heeding the wrong voice can have disastrous consequences. After humanity's sin in the garden, God arrives with questions. And the first question he asks is, where are you? But the second question is also significant. Who told you? Who told you? And that's a question for us to consider today as well. Who told you? Who's telling you? Who's telling you who you are? Who's telling you how to live? Now, it's one thing to answer questions like these in a chapel or in a church building. But sometimes we have an experience like one that a student once described to me when he said this. He said, when I'm in church and I'm listening to the preaching, it's like someone is weaving a spell. And I believe, and the world makes sense to me, and then I walk out the door, and it's like the spell is broken. How do we learn to hear God's voice when we walk out the door? In the wild of the world, amid the thick and the thin of everyday life. Well, to help us with this question... I'd like to spend some time in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Now, our problem with Proverbs is that we treat them like fortune cookies, bite-sized sayings to soothe our souls. But what we find in this biblical book is something more like a rich 
banquet, something that gives us a taste for better food. And my goal this morning is to show you how this book orients us to discern God's voice, God's direction in the midst of everyday life. And I want to do this by reading Proverbs backwards, starting with this expansive vision that it has at the end of the book, and then asking how did it get us there? What was the way that we got to that expansive vision. So these are the two movements of the talk. First, the celebration of wisdom, and second, the starting point of wisdom. Let's take the first, the celebration of wisdom. So the Proverbs take this posture of careful observation of the world. They are fascinated with everyday life. The sages ask, what is this place? How do things work here? What does it mean to live well here and now? And so we find Proverbs about all sorts of everyday pursuits, making friends, making money. We find observations about every corner of creation. There's lessons to learn from ants and badgers, from locusts, from lizards. Some of the Proverbs are delightful, full of wide-eyed astonishment, like this section from the second to last chapter, chapter 30. There are three things that amaze me. No, four things that I don't understand. How an eagle glides through the sky, how a snake slithers on a rock, how a ship navigates the ocean, how a man loves a woman. Other Proverbs offer solid words of advice, like this one. Make no friends with those given to anger, and do not associate with hotheads, lest you learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I knew I was going to talk about Proverbs this morning, so I texted my mom to ask her for Filipino Proverbs, and she sent me about 50 of them. I'm going to read a few of them to you, because they're so good. Here's one. Marriage is not a joke. It is not like food that you can spit out when it is too hot to chew. I thought that was pretty good. A person who does not remember where he came from will never reach his destination. These are all in Tagalog, by the way, translated. Madaling sabihin mahirap gawain. Easier said than done. The pain in the little finger is felt by the whole body. Here's my favorite one. What use is the grass when the horse is already dead? <laughs> Basically means too little, too late. And every culture has proverbs like this. Right? Bits of cultural wisdom gleaned from the experience in the world passed down by wise mentors through the generations. But what is stunning is that some of this observational wisdom has found its way into the authoritative scriptures of God's people. That they testify that in this cultural wisdom, we hear God's voice. These are not prophetic oracles, these are poetic observations, and yet when we read them in their proper place, we rightly say, this too is God's word. There's more. The Proverbs I've just shared with you, not the Filipino ones, but the ones on the screen, come from outside the covenant community. The last two chapters of Proverbs are written by non-Israelites, Agur and Lemuel. And just as stunning is the fact that in chapters 22 to 24, we find a collection of 30 wise sayings from Egypt, that evil empire. And what do we make of this? 
It's as if the sages are saying, learn whatever you can from whomever you can. Seek wisdom wherever you can find it. And this willingness to find God's voice outside the walls of the covenant community is rooted in a conviction that both creation and culture, all of that belongs to God and therefore can say something about him. Here's this passage in Isaiah. And the prophet is describing how farmers pay attention to the land and to the seasons so that they know when and where and how to plant. And then Isaiah says, of course they do. They are well instructed. Their God teaches them. And you say, wait a second, they learned that, how to plant and where to plant and when to plant from their fathers and grandfathers, from their mothers and grandmothers. Those are the ones who taught them what to look for and what to do. And yet Isaiah says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Professor Gideon Strauss writes that sometimes in class, he has his students take off their shoes so that they will remember that there too, they are standing on holy ground. He writes, when we study God's world, the tiny creatures under our microscopes, the vast galaxies within which our sun and planet whirl, the ways of men and women selling and buying in markets, the making of love and war and law and sausages, we are in the very presence of God. When we study God's world, we are in the very presence of God. And if you were learning to take an engine apart and put it back together, or learning how best to diagnose an illness, or learning to make a lesson plan, this also comes from the Lord. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. I do hope that you develop habits of worship and prayer, of scripture reading, but you must resist the temptation to separate your devotional life from your academic life. Your studies are a primary site of your discipleship and the primary space in which God speaks. And whenever we, play, we pay close attention to the world, learning from mentors, discovering and developing what we find, God is present, instructing us with his spirit of wisdom and understanding. Scripture shows us that in keen observation or an attentive craft, even in the wisdom of the Egyptians, you can find the voice of God. And this is where we want to end up. We want to end up in this place where we're able to love wisdom wherever we find it. Everywhere we see God's beauty, goodness, and truth, that's where we want to end. But we're reading Proverbs backwards. And so for us to get here to this place where we see this huge world that is full of revelation, something else has to happen first. So how does Proverbs bring us to that place? And this brings us to the second movement now, the starting point of wisdom. So we celebrate wisdom, but to get to this celebration, we have to go through a particular route. What's the starting point? Because alongside this celebration of cultural wisdom, we have to set a warning that there is also a lot of cultural foolishness. 
there are loud voices ready to lead us in the wrong direction. In Corinthians, Paul tells us that worldly wisdom led people to crucify the Son of God. So if we are to hear God's voice in creation and culture, if we are to rightly interpret God's world, we must first develop a skill in discernment. And so we begin to see that this proverbial celebration of wisdom that flowers in the later chapters of the book is planted in a particular soil, the soil of the first nine chapters. Now, these first nine chapters take a particular form, the form of parental instruction, words from a father to a son. The son's about to move away, to leave home, and begin making decisions outside that protective and formative framework. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Being on your own for the first time. I've been teaching my 14-year-old son how to drive in the Dort parking lot on Sundays. Maybe you've seen us. <laughs> and right now, it's a bit scary to think of him driving on his own. But one day, soon, he will. He will get in the car and drive off without me to annoy him about his driving. And after that, he'll leave home. And maybe you've been on the other side of that. And whether it was a father or a mother or a teacher or a coach or a pastor who helped guide you to where you are, maybe you can relate to this idea of taking a step into a world of uncertainty without their trusted voice right at hand. Maybe you can text them and they'll send you 50 Filipino proverbs, but they're not right there. And so read these proverbs like the last letters of a father to a son. Or a mother to a daughter. And they'll take on all this new meaning. The father says to the son. Because these chapters are meant to prepare a young person to step into a world full of possibilities. And full of pitfalls. And to live with virtue and skill. And so as we move through these first nine chapters. They climax in chapter nine. Where life is compared to this journey through a city. And as the young man walks through the streets. Both wisdom and folly are personified as attractive women who come out and say, let all who are simple come in here. Wisdom and foolishness, cultural wisdom and cultural foolishness, are presented as these attractive and appealing women who say, come and sit down at my table, have a meal, stay a while. And neither of these voices can be avoided without effort. And both of them sound like they're saying the same thing. Let all who are simple come to my house. And yet one leads to life. And the other leads to death. And yet they both say, let all who are simple come in. In Proverbs, the term simple doesn't mean unsophisticated, doesn't mean stupid, it means uncommitted. It's a person without an anchor, a person who's not really sure of the world or their place in it, who they are, who they want to become, who God is, what God is owed, and because of their lack of an anchor, they can't make good choices, they can't tell the difference between good advice and bad advice, between good friends and bad friends, between good influences and bad influences. And the worst advice that you can give to a person without an anchor, an uncommitted person, is listen to your heart. Because without the anchor of commitment, our desires pull us in all directions. And we end up going with whatever, with whatever flow happens to be the strongest. 
or to use an image from Psalm 1, rather than being like the tree that's rooted by the water, we are more like the dust that the wind blows away. And as you journey, it's not difficult to hear all the voices calling out for your attention. What is difficult, perhaps, is to distinguish wisdom amid all the noise. You don't even need to walk through a city. You pick up your phone, you open your computer, and you feel the hurricane of desire. And Proverbs offers you a chance to come in out of the wind. The grounding commitment that Proverbs offers us, the first principle that the Father gives to the Son as he braves the world, as he walks out the door, is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is no craven fear. It is instead a fundamental allegiance, a commitment to listen for and follow the Lord before anyone else, to take God more seriously than anyone else. It means positively to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to not lean on your own understanding. This is no craven fear, but I appreciate the word fear because it communicates so much more than just belief. Fearing God means that we feel God's gravity as a matter of first importance. God matters for everything we do. God moves us to act or anchors us in not acting even when other forces push us and pull us. So here is the most important principle that we get from Proverbs when it comes to the question of hearing God's voice in everyday life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Before you seek some new direction or new thing, feel God's gravity grounding you, anchoring you as you move through the day. Is there something that he has said clearly in Scripture to do? Do it. Is there something in Scripture that he has said clearly not to do? Do not do it. Fear the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. And any other wisdom that we find must be placed under this fundamental religious orientation. We learn from the Egyptians, where they have something to teach us. But do not follow their gods, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord, of course, is not a generic name for God. It is his covenantal name, Yahweh. And with his name comes the whole story of his work, of his creating the world, making promises to the patriarchs, raising up Israel out of Egypt, covenanting with them, sending them into exile, promising the Messiah, arriving as the Messiah, suffering, dying, rising, ascending, sending, returning. And this story of creation and fall and redemption is the story, it's your story. The story through which you filter all of the voices and all of the wisdom that you find in the world. But remember how wisdom's invitation is characterized. Wisdom invites us to a meal, to a table, to come into the house, to spend some time. Because becoming wise is not so much about mastering principles, but learning to love. 
The only way to become wise, the sages seem to say, is to move in with wisdom. Or to welcome wisdom when wisdom wants to move in with you. And our great hope is that this is not just true in some poetic sense. It is true because wisdom, the word, the voice of God, walked among us. He put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowing Jesus is the end, the goal, the aim of wisdom. Jesus arrives in a way that we could not have anticipated and says the thing that we, with all our wisdom, did not expect. He brings what we could never have found and he tells us what we could never tell ourselves. Jesus is the wisdom, the word of God. And wisdom is about seeing him, getting to know him, and then seeing how he gives you back the entire world with new eyes to see it, with new ears to hear it, with a new heart to love it. The band can come up. And as they do, I want to share with you a quote, a line from Gordon Spikeman, which was said at a Dort graduation in 1988. It goes like this. Nothing matters but the kingdom. But because of the kingdom, everything, literally everything, matters. See, this finally is why we can learn to hear God's voice and find God's wisdom literally everywhere. Because in giving us himself, Jesus gives us the entire world to explore and unfold and to love as he loves. And because God is endlessly knowable, and because our neighbors are too, there will always be more to see. It is only further up and further in. And so we move forward with faith, seeking understanding. We listen, we question, we explore. But we seek as those who by God's grace have already been found. Because of Christ, we belong to God. As his dearly loved children, God is our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. And this is our Father's world. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray that you would equip us with this head start of wisdom that is the fear of the Lord, that we would feel your gravity, that we would take you seriously, but that we would see you pursuing us through Christ and the Spirit and offering the world to us to explore and unfold, that we may do so with great joy and hope because of what you've done and who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.